0: We're continuing through the book of 1st Timothy, 1st Timothy, the text is 1st Timothy chapter 4, this is part 2 of the sermon that began last Sunday, 1st Timothy chapter 4, I'll be reading verses 11 through 16. Timothy is a pastor, it is a church in Ephesus, and Paul is writing to Timothy. Because he's confronted with false teachers, false doctrine, and it's destroying the unity and the life of the church. He's already told them how to worship well. He's told them that they should pray for everyone in the world uh, within their spheres of influence. Even the rulers who may be oppressing them, they should pray for them. He also says that elders and deacons should be chosen with great care. And he lists qualifications for them. And now he reminds Timothy that he must guard his own life and his own doctrine. He's talked to them about sound doctrine, and now he's discussing what it means to be a sound pastor. He says he's writing these things because he wants everyone to know how to behave in the household of God. It's kind of the theme, I believe, of the entire letter. That we are a household, we're a family of God. We should know what God expects of us in this household. And in chapter 1, verse 5, he says, The aim of our charge is love. It's love. This is everything that comes after. Chapter 1, verse 5 is done in love. So we're going to read 1 Timothy 4, 11 through 16. Would you please stand one last time for the reading of God's holy inspired word? Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them, so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so you will save both yourself and your hearers. Amen. Please be seated. Remember that the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of our God will endure forever. Let us pray. Almighty God, we have heard your word, these words that you wrote for us. We pray that we would understand them, that our souls would be changed, that your spirit would affect us, that we would love you more, we would see Christ glorified more, and that we would walk away with changed hearts for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. I had the privilege to go through the Air Force Squadron Commanders course. It's actually tremendous. There's the four-star general in charge of whatever command you're in. I was in uh, the United States Air Forces in Europe, and the USAFE commander was a four-star general. Most people never get to meet a four-star general, and yet I had a whole week with him, just not me alone, but all the other squadron commanders in Europe. And he was basically a distilling advice. Here's how to do your job well. Here's the things that you need to focus on. And of course, in those situations, you, you, you want to focus on the main things. I'll never forget what he said. Listen to your first sergeant. Spend your own money. Sleep with your own wife. That was it. He said, everything else will probably work out, but you can't recover from missing up on any one of those things. You're in this position because you obviously have some leadership abilities, but if you mess up one of those things, it will be disastrous. It also reminded me of a speech I heard the president of Reformed Theological Seminary give, incoming seminarians. These are men who have finished college, now they're in seminary. They're studying the Word of God for two, three, four years because they hope to be pastors. They feel a call to ministry. And he told them, when they all sat down, he said, I know you all think you're going to be amazing preachers. You know a lot about Scripture, and you're going to learn a lot more. You're going to know the Greek. You're going to know the Hebrew, and you think you're going to be a wonderful theologian. You probably feel like you're a gifted speaker, that you're eloquent, or you think you might have a gift of evangelism. You might really be able to to preach the gospel to the lost. But none of those things are what your church needs first. The most important thing your church needs from you is that you come to God in prayer every day. That you study the scriptures every day. You immerse yourself in the word of God. You keep your heart free from a love of money. You stay faithful to your wife. You forsake fame and self promotion for the sake of God. Again, wonderful, wonderful counsel for men seeking to be leaders in the church, seeking to be pastors. The reality is, every one of us are first and foremost. Slaves of God. We were bought with a price. Pastors were sent by God to serve you. And they must serve him alone if they are to be successful in these heavy and tremendous duties that they've been given. So, the title is The Sound Pastor. Again, this is part two of The Sound Pastor. Last week we discussed God-fearing leadership and right worship. Today we'll continue looking at holy living and watchful persistence. Just to summarize last week, God-fearing leadership, we remember in verse 11 that Paul has told Timothy to command and teach these things and let no one despise him. And we kind of walked through what exactly that means. He's a servant leader, and yet he needs to pursue those who might despise the word of God, pursue them in love. Remember the calling, the elders, the presbytery, put their hands on you. They gave you this gift, this responsibility, and you must go fearlessly, remembering that you work for God alone. Secondly, he implored Timothy to ensure that there was right worship in the church, the reading of public scripture, to preaching, exhortation, to teaching, to watch your doctrine, your teaching closely. And now we continue by looking at holy living, verse 12, in verses 15 and 16. Verse 12, we see that Timothy is told to set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity, that he should immerse himself in these things so that everyone will see his progress, that he should persist And his pursuit of godliness. And of course this applies to all of us, doesn't it? You can't just check out and say, well, again, Richard, you're preaching to yourself. It's actually for all of the body of Christ. The qualifications for elders and deacons are basically to be a Christian. Applies for all of us, and it's the same as a pastor. So the third thing that he implores him to pursue is holy, living, godliness. It doesn't take long to think through the history of the United States to see men of God, spiritually gifted men, perhaps, leaders in the church who have brought great disgrace to church, brought great disgrace to Christians in general. Why? Probably they don't have accountability, real accountability, men speaking into their lives, holding them to a godly standard. Probably they don't truly have a commitment to godliness where the Holy Spirit, the Word of God by the power of the Holy Spirit just reaches into your soul and, and, and works it. Maybe they don't truly have a love a real love for the man from Nazareth. Certainly, the word of God and prayer, accountability are crucial for any spiritual leader. And without those things, they will probably fall, backslide, or stray. Just thinking in the past 10 years, this is just in the past decade, Influential Christian leaders who have disgraced the church by their conduct. And I point them out. I'm going to mention them by name, not to embarrass them or their families, just to show you there was a time in your life when you probably trusted some of these men. And yet they lived double lives. These were pastors. They were in public leadership positions. They were married. They had families and children. We've talked about Ian Campbell before. He was a minister in Scotland, a minister of the, the moderator of the Free Church of Scotland. He was a legionnaire teacher, gifted teacher. He had a secret life of sexual sin that went on for a decade. And he was caught, the evidence was overwhelming, and he committed suicide. Ravi Zacharias, president of That apologetic ministry, Ravi Zacharias International Ministries, celebrated apologist, gifted debater, secret life of sexual sin. His ministry conducted an independent survey, paid some people to do research, and they disassociated themselves. The ministry, called Ravi Zacharias Ministries, disassociated themselves from him. So overwhelming was the evidence, secret life of sin. Mark Driscoll, reformed pastor of Mars Hill, had 14,000 members, 15 different locations in the 2000s. He resigned because of abusive leadership. So many in his church that were working with him felt that he was abusive. He was also plagued with plagiarism, allegations of plagiarism. And the short answer is he resigned. The church disbanded. Mary Kay's parents live in Colorado Springs and used to attend New Life Church. Pastor Ted Haggart. He was also well-known nationally. He was known by presidents. He was the president of National, the National Association of Evangelicals. And it came out uh, that he was using drugs, illegal drugs, and had an inappropriate relationship with a gay masseuse. Resigned. Disgrace. The church was staggering. When we were beginning our journey in homeschooling many, many years ago, Doug Phillips was the president of an organization called Vision Forum. Wonderful organization. Um, providing homeschooling resources and curriculum. He was also an attorney with HSLDA, which is a homeschool uh, legal defense fund. He was a founding pastor of Borne, Bernie Christian Church, and over the course of many years had a sexual relationship with his nanny in his home. He resigned. The church disciplined him, and vision form was closed. And then consider all the relatively unknown pastors and spiritual leaders who have fallen similarly due to sin. I'm sure you've probably all known in your lifetime a pastor who has disgraced, been disgraced by his own conduct and resigned and felt the staggering just ripples that, that flowed out from that, that horrible, horrible thing. Why do I mention all this? It's simply to, to make the point that Satan is coming after all of us. He's relentless. He's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And he wants your leaders. That's why this is so important. That's why Paul tells Timothy these very words. You must pursue godliness. You must have accountability with godly men. You must devote yourself to the word and to prayer. Because if you fall, the flock will be dismayed. As Jesus said, if they strike the shepherd, the sheep will be scattered. This is a principle, it seems, to guide Satan's attacks on his church. And it's for this reason Paul warns Timothy, guard your life and the teaching. Guard it. Train yourself for godliness. Do it. Look at verse 7. Train yourself for godliness, he tells Timothy. Verse 12. Set the believers an example in your conduct, in your love, in your speech, your faith, your purity. So he had told already, he had told Timothy how important it was that elders and deacons are upright, blameless men. Of course, none of us are perfect. But there's no outrageous sin that would keep him from... Pursuing his ministry to the body of Christ. But then he also tells him to make sure that he pursues godliness himself. He says, Timothy, you focus on yourself. Scottish pastor Robert Murray Machane said, The most important thing a pastor can do is pursue personal holiness. It's true. Paul seemed to think the same thing. 1 Corinthians 9.24, he says, Do you not know that in a race all all runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others... I myself should be disqualified. That's for pastors, but it's for all of us. We discipline our bodies. We, we strive for self-control. Of course, this is our human effort. It's only in Christ, when we fix our eyes on Jesus, that we begin to see the Holy Spirit doing that work within us. All of us, all pastors, even Paul, train themselves for godliness. This is training. Think of anything you've trained for. That's a daily, it's a persistent effort. It's a daily pursuit of Jesus. The man who's doing this will be often at the feet of our Savior. Why? Because he knows his own weakness. I mean, this is all of our attitudes. We who know the great God who saved us know that we need him to live the Christian life. And knowing your Savior, your Master, your King, and your God, he equips you with the ordinary means of grace to live for God, to fight the good fight. All of us, like Paul in Philippians 3.7, all of us should say with Paul, whatever was to my profit, I consider loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things and consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Graduates, what you've done is an amazing thing, but... In light of Christ, it's rubbish. All of us have accomplishments in our life. Compared to Christ and knowing Him, it's rubbish. And if it's not, then there's probably idolatry somewhere in your life. If you're holding on to one of these things, if you can't say this with Paul, then you're subject to fall. Because there's idolatry hiding somewhere in a secret place in your heart. So, application for us from the first point that your pastor should be pursuing holiness. I mean, I think the application is obvious. If you see a spiritual leader, an elder, or a pastor not pursuing Jesus, go talk to them. I expect you to come to me. If you see something that doesn't look right, because I should be a man consumed by God, by God's word, committed to prayer. And you should see progress in my life. In 10 years, you should look back and go, wow, Richard, 10 years ago, you were a mess. But praise God for what he's done in your life now. You should see the fruit, the spiritual fruit of God. You should see a transparency and an openness to input of others. And all this applies to all of you as well, doesn't it? This is just being a Christian. But you know what's at stake for your pastor, for your elders. You need to pray for us. Pray for our sanctification, our spiritual discipline. Pray that we discipline our bodies and keep it under control lest we also be disqualified. Secondly, I believe that when we think of the godly qualifications for elder, you see how the church is basically discarded 1 Timothy chapter 3 when you think of the number i mean many of these people i mentioned are back in ministry pastors who have had affairs while in ministry are not qualified to be pastors any longer pastors who struggle with homosexuality or pedophilia are not qualified to be ministers of the gospel and think of any other outrageous sin and we all sin are you holding on to that sin is it something that would certainly embarrass the church and destroy its unity men who are addicted to pornography are not qualified to be pastors of a church and Satan knows that these things will destroy a church that's why he attacks there think of all of the scriptures think of all of the men of God through scripture how did they fall probably in these ways it's why the pastor must pursue holiness, and he must be persistent and watchful as he does so. And that's the, the fourth point, the second point today, but the fourth point overall is watchful persistence. Look at verse 15. Practice these things, he says, immerse yourself in them, so that all may see your progress. It's like this is a long race, and everyone is watching you, Pastor Timothy. Let everyone see your progress. Reminds me, I don't like to talk about sports. I'm not a huge sports fan. I know that some people struggle with just overindulgence. But if you saw the Kentucky Derby a few weeks ago, oh my goodness. You saw the progress of that horse dead last, walking his way forward until the very end when he won the race. That horse was running to win. It's that kind of progress that I think of when I think of all of our Christian walks. You may feel like you're last, and it doesn't matter where you are in your life. You keep running to win the race. You fix your eyes on Jesus as that horse had his eyes fixed on the finish line. He also says, keep a close watch on yourself and the teaching and persist in this. Don't give up. When Gary walked through Hebrews with us in Sunday school, that's the, the biggest takeaway was don't give up. Don't give up. In your Christian life, don't give up. Christianity is a religion of grace. We see the grace of our God displayed in the lives of sinful people like you, like me, and he calls us to persist, to persevere, not to give up. If you're thinking about the sin in your life at this moment, as we walk through these, people, these people's lives and I just outline their sinful desires and you're thinking to yourself, wow, I could, I could be that. Don't give up. Or if you have the sin of pride and you're thinking to yourself, well, that's never me. I could never do that. Recognize that and don't give up fighting the particular sins that are indwelling. But we live in a world of fast food, of quick fixes, of 30-day diets, like everything is boom, boom, fast, quick. Spiritually, this manifests itself in many ways, I believe. One of these is a resistance to just long, regular, ordinary, daily Christian living. That's actually hard. It's harder than going to a three-day conference. I love conferences. But your conferences aren't a fix for your spiritual life. If you want to live a long, steady obedience to God, it starts now. It starts every day. It starts every minute of every day, and every second of every minute of every day. And you're thinking, how do you do that? You fix your eyes on Jesus, you turn yourself to God, you beat your breast like the man who was standing next to the Pharisee, and you say, God, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. Please help my unbelief. I was speaking with someone this week about what a glorious inheritance we have in heaven. And how there's probably going to be many people in heaven who will be kind of lifted up for us as examples of what godly life, a godly life looked like. And we're all going to celebrate with them. But my conclusion was there are probably most of them you've never heard of. You're going to find out that this housewife, she lived a, a godly life and was mightily used by God. This, this widow lived a, a godly life and was mightily used by God because of her, her diligent pursuit of Jesus, her, her faithfulness in prayer, or people with chronic illnesses, or people wasting away in prison, people we've never heard of. people who are devoted to God. You see, in God's economy, it doesn't matter if you're standing at a pulpit preaching or if you are unable to come to church. He will use you for his glory. He will use you despite your weakness. Indeed, Paul says, my power is made perfect in weakness. My grace is sufficient for you. Don't wait to begin pursuing God. Pursue God now. And your pastor should be watchfully persistent. He should practice these things. Love, faith, purity, speech, conduct, devotion to scripture, to doctrine, to teaching, to preaching. It's interesting to me what Paul doesn't say. He doesn't say, immerse yourself in these things so that your church will be healthy. That's what I think I would have said. Do these things because you want a healthy church. But he doesn't. He says, immerse yourself in these things so that all may see your progress. Your life is on display and it should glorify your master. The pastor's spiritual life should be transparent. I don't have secrets from you. If you want to know something, ask me. And you should see a difference. You should see progress over time. That's scary for me to say. How will you know? Well, you have to talk to me. You have to stay engaged. Same with your elders. Talk to them. Stay engaged. It's to the glory of Jesus that you do this. Watch yourself and your teaching, Paul said. Watch yourself and your teaching. How do you watch teaching? Again, this applies to you and it definitely applies to me. How do we watch teaching? How do Jerry and I watch our teaching? Well, we have the Bible, of course, but that's what we're teaching about. How do you watch how you teach the Bible? We have a congregation of people whose noses are in the book all the time. It's your duty to know the scriptures. We have elders. We have a presbytery. The, the, the teaching elders from our region. We hear each other preach quarterly. We have our confession, the Westminster Confession. We have creeds that kind of outline the, the primary doctrines. And all these layers of accountability are important. I also have a wife who's very, just a great person for feedback. She tells me things that no one else will say, and I thank her for it. We have to watch ourselves in our teaching. Why did these pastors fall so miserably in their life and their conduct and their teaching? How could they live double lives? They weren't watching for the attack of the enemy if they were saved. If they weren't, only God knows, they had selfish interests. The application for us, I believe, is clear. If You also presume on God's grace if you act this way, if you're not careful, if you're not watchful to pursue God daily, to be in fellowship and word and prayer daily, To value the things of God. The ordinary means of grace. The word, the sacraments, prayers, and fellowship here on a Sunday. You also will fall. Most likely. But your desire should be like mine. To live a transparent life before everyone. We are family. We're family. There should be no secrets. We're family. We share life with each other. And it's a great privilege that God has given us. I know it's good for my soul that you all reach into my life. I invite you to do that. And you should also invite everyone else to do the same for you. May God help us. So let's conclude by looking at the last verse. For by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So Paul's not preaching some kind of work salvation. We know what Paul thinks about salvation. He's not saying, Timothy, if you do these things, everyone will get saved. No, but he's showing that faithful living is part of the ordinary means by which God saves people. Salvation is at stake. This is serious. When we come to the, to the church, when we come to hear the preaching, when we come to worship God, when we come to pray, it's not just a good tradition. It's not just our heritage or something else. If it's just that and don't think you probably are here for the right reason. We come to meet the Almighty God. That's why we're here. We come for Jesus. So where do you start? You want to be a fearless leader, like you want a pastor who's a fearless leader? You want right worship in your church? You want right worship in your daily life, pursuing God in prayer every day, pursuing God in the Scriptures every day? This isn't a recommendation. This is God's command for his people to do those things. But how do you actually do that? How do you live a holy life? How do you value godliness and holiness the way Paul did? I think part of it is remembering that we're we're on a marathon journey. But often when you start a marathon, you start with a little bit of a sprint. And that's not always a bad thing. you got to start. Maybe today is the day you start. Maybe today is the day you say, yes, Richard, I want to live for Jesus. I'm tired of these things that weigh me down. I want to throw off the sin that so easily entangles. I want to run with perseverance that race. Jonathan Edwards wrote a book. Well, it wasn't actually a book. It was just his own journal. His Resolutions. You should all read it. His resolutions are convicting. I'm just going to read a few of them in conclusion. Resolved. This is resolution number one. Resolved that, and I think he wrote this when he was 17. And he lived it out. Resolved that I will do whatsoever I think to be most to God's glory and my own good, profit and pleasure, and the whole duration of my life, without any consideration of the time, whether now or never so many myriad of ages hence, resolved to do whatever I think to be my duty and most for the good and advantage of mankind in general, resolved to do this whatever difficulties I meet and how many and great whatsoever. Read just a few more. Resolved, number eight, resolved to act in all aspects, both speaking and doing as if nobody had been so vile as I and as if I had committed the same sins or had the same infirmities, failings as others and that I will let the knowledge of their failings promote nothing but shame in myself and prove only an occasion of my confession of my own sins and misery to God. Number 25, resolve to examine carefully and constantly what that one thing in me is which causes me in the least to doubt the love of God and to direct all my forces against it. Regarding prayer, resolve never to count that a prayer nor to let that pass as a prayer, nor that as a petition of a prayer, which is so made that I cannot hope that God will answer, nor that as a confession, which I cannot hope God will accept. Resolve that when I find those groanings which cannot be uttered, of which the apostle speaks, and those breaking of soul for the longing of it, which has as the psalmist speaks, that I will promote them to the utmost of my power and that I will not beware but earnestly endeavoring to vent all my desires nor of the repetitions of such earnestness. And one more. Number 53. Resolve to improve every opportunity when I am in in the best and the happiest frame of mind, to cast all venture, to cast and venture my soul on the Lord Jesus Christ, to trust and confide in him, to consecrate myself wholly to him, that from this day I may have assurance of my safety, knowing that I confide in my Redeemer. He reviewed these resolutions frequently he persisted in them because he knew that it was for the glory of god he knew that his salvation was found in christ alone for us also salvation is found in christ alone there is no other name in heaven whereby we must be saved the gospel is for all of us every day i'm going to close in prayer with the prayer that uh John Calvin closed in after he preached this particular text. Let us pray together. Almighty God, we cast ourselves down before the face of you, our good and great God, and we acknowledge our faults and beg mercifully that you bury them, so that we may come in full confidence of you, since you are pleased through our Lord Jesus Christ to call us to yourself. And because you have drawn near to us, stooping to help us in our misery and emptying yourself in order to lift us up to heaven, may you so gather us to yourself that we may have the assurance of your grace and goodness, never doubting that you will continually guide us by your Holy Spirit until at the last day we are made one with you. We pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. In Jesus' name, amen.